1995, uh, Barbara Bradley Haggerty, who's a journalist for the Los Angeles Times, was interviewing a woman with cancer outside Saddleback Church in Orange County. They were discussing faith. And the woman, who uh, was a Christian named Kathy, uh, was gently sharing with the journalist the message of Christianity. Then, in the middle of the conversation, things got weird. As Bradley Haggerty describes it, I felt the hair on the back of my neck stand on end. My heart started beating a little faster. Imperceptibly at first, the air around us thickened, and I wondered whether a clear, dense mist had rolled in from the ocean. The air grew warmer and heavier, as if someone had moved into the circle and was breathing on us. I glanced at Kathy. She had fallen silent in mid-sentence. Neither of us spoke. Gradually and ever so gently, I was engulfed by a presence. I could feel but not touch. I was paralyzed. I could manage only shallow breaths. After a minute, although it seemed longer, the presence melted away. We sat quietly while I waited for the earth to study itself. The experience shook the journalist. Uh, Bradley Haggerty had grown up in church but left Christianity many years before. But on this particular night, it was as though God had re-entered her life, if even uninvited. It was too powerful an experience to deny she had been touched by the divine. Or had she? Barbara wanted to believe, but as a journalist by training, she was skeptical. I mean, was her experience really evidence for the existence of God? Or were there other explanations for whatever she had felt? You know, brain chemicals or, you know, I don't know, the, the burrito she had for lunch. Either way, she wanted to find out. So Bradley Haggerty spent the next several years researching the nature of religious experience. And she wrote up her conclusions in one of the most fascinating books that I've ever read called The Fingerprints of God. The question of religious experience is an important one. Many people claim not just to believe in God, but to experience him. As Morgan Freeman introduces in that clip I showed you, such people claim that these experiences are, are evidence, even proof that God sometimes enters our lives because he exists. But is that a rational conclusion? Do religious experiences prove that God is real? That's the question that I want to talk about with you this morning. We're winding down our current series here at Rooftop called Six Reasons I Might Lose My Faith, Six Reasons I Won't. During the series, we've been discussing different reasons uh, to believe in God or not. Uh, the atheists, the skeptics in our lives, we've made this point, they're not idiots, right? They have good reasons for not believing in God and Jesus. Now, of course, Christians have rebuttals to those reasons, and also we have more positive reasons to believe in God. And that's what we've been talking about over the second half of our series, reasons to believe. As we've said, there are a lot of reasons to believe in God, and we've gone over some of these reasons. You know, we've gone over the design argument, the, the argument from church history, the cosmological argument, the argument from morality. And there are other arguments that we could talk about too, the ontological argument, the on argument from consciousness, the argument from existence, the argument from evil, the argument from reason, the argument from miracles. In fact, one of the reasons to believe in God is the strength of the arguments for his existence combined. What, what I mean is none of the arguments are, 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 are absolutely airtight. There, there are reasons to question all of them, although some are harder to question than the others. 
But the number of arguments for God's existence means something. If the morality argument isn't, you know, that persuasive for you, there's still like the design of the cosmological arguments, one of them might be wrong, but are all of them wrong? I mean, all it takes is like for one of these arguments to be right and God is real. Having said that, I want to acknowledge what a friend told me over breakfast as we were talking about this series this week. Uh, We've talked about the existence of God during this series, but we haven't necessarily talked about the identity of Jesus as God's son. And, And that's true. We've just talked generally about theism, about the existence of God. Next week, Skyler is going to be talking about the resurrection as confirming evidence of the identity of Jesus as the son of the living God. So we are not here just to convert you into theists who believe in God this morning. That is not the goal of Rooftop, just to convert you to belief in God. We're here to make you Christians. Next week, Skyler's going to do that. It's going to make all of you Christians. (laughs) But this morning, I want to talk about one more argument for God's general existence, and it's the one I introduced, the argument from religious experience. Lots of people believe in God, not necessarily because of logic or cosmology or ethics. They believe in God because they have experienced him or something like him. In fact, in a Pew study of religion from a decade ago, 2009, 49% of Americans report having some sort of religious or mystical experience. So half of all Americans alive at the time report having some sort of mystical religious experience. As you can tell, that number has actually been steadily increasing over the decades. In the early 1960s, only 22% of Americans reported having any sort of mystical experience with the divine. But whatever people were experiencing, more and more people are now presently experiencing it. Now the question here is whether or not religious experiences offer any sort of evidence for God's existence. We'll talk about that. But first, let's define some terms. What are we even talking about? What is a religious experience? As you can imagine, this is actually a tough question to answer. We could define religious experience quite broadly to include practically anything, like someone who feels connected to the universe when they look into the sun, which shouldn't do, by the way, don't look into the sun, or someone who experiences some, some sort of angelic revelation during a dream, or, or someone who just feels so connected with God during a worship song. Oh my gosh, I love this worship song, God is in this place. So we could define religious experience fairly broadly, or if we want, we can actually narrow it uh, and offer a more narrow definition of religious experience. Uh, William James, for example, he was a famous doctor at Harvard in the early 1900s. He was very interested in religious experiences. William James was. He actually wrote the definitive work on the topic, The Variety of Religious Experiences. James interviewed thousands and thousands of people who claimed to have these types of experiences, and then he analyzed them and categorized them. And the sort of experience that that he zeroed in on was something that he would call mystical union with the divine. Now, a mystical union with the divine, he said, is an experience, a sort of spiritual experience that has four attributes. First, a mystical union with the divine is ineffable. In other words, just just impossible to describe. Secondly, a mystical union with the divine is noetic. In other words, I know it's a fancy word, you get knowledge about God from a source beyond yourself. Thirdly, a mystical union with the divine is transient. It's not permanent, it like happens and it's done. And then lastly, a mystical union with the divine is passive. In other words, it happens to someone. 
They're just kind of out there living their lives. Then, bam, they're in the presence of God. Now, you may or may not have ever had this sort of religious experience. I won't ask for a show of hands or anything. But you probably won't be surprised to know that the Bible, which describes life, is filled with people who have these types of experiences. Uh, Moses experienced something like this when he saw God in the burning bush. Isaiah was taken up to heaven into the throne room of God. Daniel and Ezekiel experienced the divine in a mystical way. Jesus' mother Mary received a vision from an angel. Uh, Peter, James, and John experienced the power of God on uh, the Mount Transfiguration. And in the book of Revelation, John recounts being taken by the Spirit to see things he could not imagine or describe. So the Bible is filled with these types of events. But maybe the most interesting religious experience in Scripture is actually the one that we know the least about. It comes from the book of 2 Corinthians. It's described by the Apostle Paul. In the book, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, I know a man, I know a man in Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. I don't know. And and I know that this man, this man was, was caught up in paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is even permitted to tell. So maybe you're familiar with Paul's description here. He's describing someone, a man, who had a mystical divine experience in paradise, in which the recipient learned things about God and about reality and about heaven that he wasn't even allowed to share. Now, almost certainly, Paul is describing whom here? Almost certainly, Paul is describing himself. Uh, Paul is likely talking about himself in the third person. I know a guy. I know a guy. He's being humble. He was reluctant to boast about any sort of experiences that he had with God compared to other people. Regardless of that, the Bible is full of religious mystical experiences, some of which make sense, some of which don't. But overall, it makes sense that the Bible is composed of people with mystical experiences. The Bible is a religious book. But again, it's not just people in the Bible. Like I said, if the statistics are right, lots of people, even those alive today, have had these experiences of God. Maybe you have had an experience of God, an encounter with the divine. Or even if you haven't, maybe you know somebody who has. Which brings us back to the question, what do we do with these? Do they offer us any evidence for the reality of God? You'd think that of course they do. You'd think that personal experience of God is the best kind of proof there is. I mean, it's not a logical argument. It's an experience that you can't deny. But skeptics were trying to honor the opinions of skeptics here, skeptics would beg to differ. Many skeptics would say that however compelling mystical experiences the divine might be, we shouldn't trust them. One of my favorite podcasts, for example, it's called Unbelievable. And the podcast features debates between Christians and atheists. And I listened to an episode this week in which two Christians were describing the most amazing spiritual experiences that they had had with God on a podcast. They were describing them to an atheist. And these experiences were incredible. Uh, They had light, angels, heaven, music, you know, smoke machines, everything. The atheist they were talking, though, is utterly unpersuaded. 
that those experiences mean God's, God exists. In fact, I was having coffee with an atheist several years ago, uh, the leader of the Ethical Society up by the Galleria. Do you know where the Ethical Society is? It's a funny-looking building up by, the, up by the Galleria. And it's actually a humanistic organization led by an atheist. It's a religion for atheists, basically. And uh, I heard the president of the Ethical Society, his, his name is James Croft, I heard him on the Unbelievable podcast. He was one of the atheists being interviewed. And I heard that he lived in St. Louis. I just called him up. I'm like, hey, I need to talk to more atheists in my life. Weird thing for you to hear a pastor say. So I just called him up. I invited him out for coffee. We were talking about God or, or not God and, and religious experiences. And uh, James actually described to me a moment that he once had. He was singing in a choir in which he was transported during this moment he, he, while he was singing. He was transported into a mystical space. He said he even seemed to leave his body. He said his mind was flooded with, with peace and joy and gratitude until he just returned to where he was, what he was doing. And he's an atheist. How can anybody have an experience of the divine like that and not believe in God? Well, that's the question. Do mystical experiences explain God? Skeptics say no. And they say no for lots of reasons. They say no because first, the brain can do funny things. The brain is a deep mystery. We know that people experience crazy things when their brains are stimulated in certain ways. Drugs can have very similar effects. Is that not a more likely explanation than like God reaching down from heaven and touching random people. Secondly, skeptics say, those weird experiences are far from proof that God is the cause. I mean, just because someone is mystically transported to a, a place of peace and joy and light doesn't mean that God is real. I mean, maybe there's a, an undiscovered part of our universe that every now and then people just kind of get caught up into. Thirdly, mystical experiences are very personal and impossible to verify. You can't prove, let alone recreate them. How does that offer the rest of us any proof that God is real? So skeptics reject the notion that religious experiences are evidence for God. Now let me point out, skeptics and non-believers would not necessarily dispute that people are experiencing something. They're not like calling Paul a liar. You weren't caught up in the third heaven they're not accusing them of manufacturing these experiences. They're just saying that these, these are evidence of something. They're just not evidence of God. They're making a big conclusion. Are they right? Well, here's the other side. Lots of people say that religious experiences are actually very strong evidence for God's existence. And they say this because, first of all, the number of people who claim to have met God in these experiences are probably not wrong. Yes, these moments are very personal and hard to describe, but countless people have had them and believe God is responsible. So just because it sounds crazy and just because we might not have had a religious experience doesn't mean that, that we should not believe the millions and millions of people who say they have met God. In fact, and this is the second reason, we shouldn't be unnecessarily skeptical when it comes to people's experiences. We should trust what people say they saw. Philosopher Richard Swinburne actually made this point quite famously a couple decades ago. He said that generally speaking, people tell the truth, and generally speaking, people are credible. 
So unless we have good reason to doubt or not believe someone, we should generally believe them. And if lots of people say they saw God in some way, we should be inclined to trust their testimony. Lastly, though, William James thinks that these experiences should be trusted as divine because people in them, people are impacted in ways that go beyond human ability. In other words, people who have mystical experiences tend to be different afterwards, like profoundly different. Like if you do a brain scan on their brain, their brains have been rewired, and people are different in very good ways. Their brain has been rewired in very positive ways. They're more positive. They're more in tune with themselves. They're more loving towards others. They have been impacted in ways that natural forces don't impact people. So it's only logical to conclude that something beyond our natural world impacted them so unnaturally. I mean, if you find a car that has been smashed into and changed in its physical appearance, it's only logical to conclude it got hit by something. The car was changed by something else. Similarly, if you find someone who's been changed in incredible ways, it's because they got hit by something, something powerful, something transcendent. It's kind of like Moses encountering God up on top of Mount Sinai. You know the story from Exodus when Moses is called up on top of Mount Sinai and he comes back the, da- the mountain, he comes back down the mountain, changed, different. Everybody can tell. He's actually glowing. People are like, hey, Moses, you're glowing. Is anybody else seeing Moses is glowing? What's the most likely explanation for this sort of experience, the change that Moses sort of testifies to? That he was up on top of the mountain like having a a brain seizure or that he was up tripping on LSD? Or that he got hit by God as he said? So are skeptical experiences evidence that God is real? Skeptics say no. Believers say yes. In fact, here we are again. We've gotten to this point every week during this series, right? Whether it's the cosmological argument or the design argument or the moral argument. You know, there's good reasons to believe in God. There's reasons not to. If you're like me, you kind of feel like you're in the middle wondering what to do. Smart people on both sides are disagreeing on like the most fundamental questions of existence. Who do I think I am to solve this one? But this is probably a good time for me to tell you about the X-Files, Of course it is, right? You're wondering, when would be a good time for Pastor Matt to tell me about the X-Files? This is that time. Maybe not the X-Files. Anybody watch the X-Files back in the 90s when it was on Fox TV? Yeah, I love that show. It was a sci-fi show from the 90s. My my wife, Michelle, and I watched it. Uh, And and then when it rebooted a few years ago, we gathered all the kids. Let's watch X-Files tonight. But the show was about an FBI department called The X-Files. Um, in which two agents would investigate paranormal phenomena. Monsters, aliens, ESP, stuff like that. The show wasn't about the FBI, though. And this is what I liked about the show. The show wasn't about the FBI. It was about faith and doubt. You see, the two agents came at each phenomenon from different perspectives. Fox Mulder was the believer. He thought that what they were investigating was likely to be paranormal. Dana Scully was the skeptic, the naturalist. She believed there was likely a non-paranormal explanation to whatever they were investigating. It's not aliens, it's it's a hoax or, you know, some 
astronomical event. It's not an experience of God. It's a, it's a drug trip. Every episode sort of had the argument. And viewers had to sort of decide who they were more compelled by. Are you a Scully? Or are you a Fox? Not to spoil anything, Fox is almost always right. <laughs> now, I like this show, and I think about it a lot, because it reminds me of faith. You see, there's good reasons to believe in God, or not. There's good reasons to believe that God started the universe, or not. There's good reasons to believe that God designed reality, or not. There's good reasons to believe in spiritual experiences, or not. The question really is, do you want to believe? Fox wanted to believe. Dana didn't. Fox even had a poster up in his office with a picture of a flying saucer that said, I want to believe. I have that same poster up in my office. <laughs> I really do. It's right there. If you've ever been in my office, you see the poster. When visitors, in fact, when visitors walk into you know, Pastor Matt's office and see this picture of the UFO, they're like, what sort of cults have I decided to visit today? And I tell them, well, you know, this is the UFO that I once saw and that I'm waiting to return to pick me up again. And I invite you. I can sell you a ticket. I can get you on the UFO if you're really interested. No, I don't tell them that. I, I tell them what I just told you. I tell them, you know, there's reason to believe in God and there's reason not to believe in God. It depends on if you want to believe or not. Me? I want to believe. I like believing in God. I like being a Christian. Being Christian has changed my life for the better. I've been impacted. I've been transformed. I've been, cha I've been hit by something transcendent. Now, of course, of course, I'm humble enough to admit I might be wrong. About the biggest question of existence, I might be wrong. But atheists might be wrong too. But here's the thing. I'd really rather be wrong this way. Know what I mean? I'd really rather be wrong this way. I'd rather be wrong full of joy and hope and peace. And if you do it right, that's what you fill up. That's what you're filled up with. Joy, you're not full of other stuff. Not full of crap. You're full of joy and hope and peace. I'd rather be wrong that way. But here's the thing. I really don't think I'm wrong. Remember, Fox is almost always right. I really believe the arguments to believe in God are just better than the arguments not to. Which brings us back to the question of spiritual experiences. Do you believe that they're evidence for God? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on what you want to believe. If you want to believe that the God of the universe has the power to interrupt your life with his awe and presence and that he has, you have good philosophical reason to believe that. If you don't want to believe that God exists or that he does things like that, you can believe that too. God's not going to force you to believe in him. God wants you to believe in him, but he's not going to force you to believe in him. I will say this though. I'll say the more willing we are to believe in God and that we can experience him, the more willing we are to believe in God and that we can experience him, the more likely we are to experience him and know that he is real. Know what I mean? The more willing we are to believe that God is real and that we can experience him, the more likely we are to experience him and know that he is real. What I mean is God wants everyone to experience him. God doesn't want us just to believe that he is real. He wants us to know that he is real experientially. And the more we believe that's possible, the more willing we are to believe that's possible, the more likely we are to experience it. 
Now, so for some of you, this is easy. I mean, I, I know a lot of you. Some of you have experienced God in incredible ways. You just have that sort of relationship with God. You like wake up in the morning, you see the sun, and you're like, oh my gosh, God is present here. Thank you, Lord, for creating this day. I, I can sense and feel you. Some of you just have incredible transcendent moments in which you're brought into God's holiness and presence. Not everybody experiences God like you have. Some people are just chosen. They're just prone to connect with God like that. In fact, in her book, Fingerprints of God, for example, Barbara Bradley Haggerty talks about this. She talks about the study of neurotheology, which is actually, there's actually a study of neurotheology, how our brains experience God. And as she points out, people who experience God actually seem to have different brain types. There are actual brain differences between people who experience God and people who don't. People who do, they actually have larger, more sophisticated parietal lobes. So if you tend to experience the spiritual presence of God, you just might have the brain for it. And frankly, this isn't scandalous. This just makes a lot of sense. Some people are just born with bigger spiritual antennas, right? They just are a little bit more in tune with God's presence in the world. I know people who just have really, really big antennas. God is present in this place. I'm like, what? God's present in this place? My antenna is like down here. I'm like, no, God's present here. Can't you sense him? Sure. Take your word for it. I mean, that might be you. And if you're the sort of person that like experiences God like everywhere and in, inside yourself and outside yourself, you got to like tell everybody about that. And for some reason, God has like chosen you to tell the rest of us that he is real. Some people just get chosen. I mean, the disciples were chosen by Jesus to tell the rest of the world that he is real. I was thinking about this. I was reading 1 John this week in the New Testament. John writes this. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, to you, so that you also may have fellowship with us. So, so God reveals himself to some people so that they can tell other people about it. So if you experience God, tell the world. Not everybody has your brain or experiences. I mean, God clearly told Paul, hey, I'm going to show you like heaven, but you can't tell anybody about it. But unless God has told you that, unless God has told you, keep your mouth shut, you got to tell the world. You got to tell everybody, I've met God. And he's not an argument. He's real. You got to trust me. Having said that, I really do think that everybody who believes in God and follows Jesus can experience him. And my point here is, the more you believe in him, the more willing you are to believe you can experience him, the more you will. You see, the experience of God is not limited to people with a certain type of brain. I mean, if it is, I don't have that brain. My spiritual antenna is pretty short. My brain works in different ways. You know that. You experience my brain. Welcome to my brain. But God can work through any type of brain. God's not limited by the shape of someone's periodical cortex. Now, to be sure, people have different levels of divine experience. I mean, I'll come clean. I've never been lifted up to the third heaven. I've never had time stop like Barbara Bradley Haggerty. I've never had a conversation with an angel or encountered God on a mountain and started glowing. 
William James never interviewed me for his book. But I've heard God answer my prayers. I've heard God like talk to me. I really have. I've heard God talk to me. I've seen my life get orchestrated in bizarre ways to accomplish his purposes. And the more I expect to experience God, the more I open myself up to the presence of God, the more, I, the more I pray, and the more I study God's word, the more I experience him. And that's not wish fulfillment. That's not a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's just being willing to hear and see things I couldn't before. That's how this works. The more willing you are to experience God, the more you do. I mean, this just makes sense, it, how it works in relationships. The more I open myself up to the gifts and the presence and the love and the affection of my wife, the more I receive those things. This is what faith is all about, by the way. Faith is taking a risk that although you're not entirely sure, you're going to go all in. Arguments can only get you so far, right? At the end of the day, it's about faith. It's about deciding. It's about deciding what poster you want on your wall. I want to believe, or I, I don't want to believe. It's deciding if you're Scully or Mulder. It's deciding if you want to believe or not. I want to believe. And through that belief, I've encountered God where I haven't before. As the book of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. You've got to do that. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If you want to experience God, you've got to earnestly desire to experience him. You've got to believe that he exists. You've got to earnestly desire it, but you've also got to have faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You've got to choose to believe that what you think is true is actually true. That's what faith is, acting on what you think is true, trusting that what you believe is true really is. You see, here's the thing. I've realized this in my journey towards God. You are never going to get to certainty. Intellectually, you are never going to get to certainty. By arguments alone, you are never going to be fully convinced that God is real and that he loves you. Arguments can take you pretty far. Arguments have taken me very far. But at the end of the day, you got to choose to believe. you got to have faith. you got to have to live according to what you think is true. That's what faith is. And here's the promise of Scripture. As you act on, as you act on what you believe to be true, you'll find that it is. As you act on what you believe to be true, you'll find that that's exactly what it is. It's true. And that's my invitation to you this morning. The purpose of this series has not been, has not been to explain to you the arguments that we can know God is real. Not the point. The purpose has been to help you understand the reasons that we can know God is real so that we can know him and be known by him. No father is content to know that his children believe he exists. Oh, my children believe that I am real. It warms my heart. Fathers want to know their kids and be known by their kids. God doesn't want you to know that he is real. God wants to know you. God wants you to know him. God wants you to experience his presence, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his son. Now, like I said, that's a lot easier for some than others. Some of you just have really big antennas. But it's possible for everybody to know the love and the power of God. 
It just takes faith. It takes an openness to the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never declared your faith in God, the Father of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've believed in God your whole life. I mean, most of the world believes in God. If you've believed in God, I mean, congratulations. Most of the world does. In fact, what does James say about belief in God? Even the demons believe. So you who believe in God, you've accomplished what the demons have. Congratulations. Belief isn't enough, though. You need faith. Maybe you've never taken a step of faith toward God as your Father, who wants to know you and be known. You can take that step of faith this morning. In fact, you need to take that step of faith this morning. The world, if you're aware of this, is falling apart. Armies are being built up. War is spreading. The midterms are in six months. Sea levels are rising. The cancer is spreading. How long are we going to be able to do this? Forever? Why do you think you have forever to declare your faith in the God who loves you so much that he came to earth as a man to die for your sins? You got forever to kind of decide to do that? Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. The news should remind us of that. This is your moment. Do you want to believe or not? This is your moment. Are you a scully or are you a molder?